1: This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Jesus
0: Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone.
1: To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2? We're going to start reading at verse 16. We're going to read through verse 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail, Do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Do you ever read the Bible? Do you ever read biblical stories and wonder how it could possibly be that people lose sight of God so quickly? I do sometimes. Let me give you a few examples. Sometimes I'll read Genesis 1 through 3, and I will wonder, how in the world did this happen? You were given one rule, Adam and Eve, and it doesn't seem like that hard of a rule. Hey, just don't eat this fruit. That's the one rule. I'll tell you what, it is not very challenging for me to avoid fruit in my own diet. And I wonder why it was so difficult for Adam and Eve. And yet, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we realize that they're hanging around this one tree that they were told not to go by. And the devil has very a very easy time tempting them to eat of the tree that the Lord God told them not to eat from. The one who had created them, the one who had provided everything that they needed, that was somehow not enough. And they wanted to be like him. And so they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How in the world could that happen? And seemingly just so quickly. Or when Israel had been freed from captivity, they've seen extraordinary works of God. He's freed them from Egypt, from slavery. He's used amazing signs and wonders to demonstrate the fact that he is powerful, that he is in control, that not these gods of the Egyptians, that God, the one true God, is the only one who can save from captivity. And yet, as he takes them out and is bringing them to the promised land, they whine all the time. They are like children. They are just always using that whiny voice all throughout their time, wandering in the wilderness. Why did you take us out of Egypt only for us to die here? They constantly doubt him. It's ridiculous. It happens all the time. And the Lord who had demonstrated his strength and power and goodness and grace very quickly doesn't become enough. Or the kings of Israel and Judah. How few of them were actually good kings. How often they would turn and trust their own power instead of that of the Lord God. How could this happen again and again and again and again? And then if I'm honest with myself and I turn and I assess my own life and my own heart and my own mind with honesty, I know the answer to the question. We are, all of us, tempted to turn our eyes away from Jesus and trust something else, at least for a moment, more that seems, at least in that moment, more potent, more powerful, or more present. Oftentimes we trust the things that will give us a sense of control or power or status that we feel will elevate us to the level of God, just like in the garden, or give us power and control, like the kings of Israel. Sometimes we just trust the things that make us feel good. Sometimes we just trust the things that we can see like in the wilderness when the people wanted an idol that they could see or wanted something they could taste. Each of these elevates the self. Each of these diminishes the Lord. And in the, uh, in the Colossian church, this was a problem also. It was a problem uh, that found its way into the Colossian church in a couple of different ways. Their specific temptation was to displace Jesus and to replace him with spirituality. Isn't that Interesting. In the Colossian church, Jesus was being displaced by spirituality, and it's a temptation for us too. But I'm here this morning to tell us all that performative spirituality is no replacement for holding fast to Jesus. That's all I want to say today, that performative spirituality is no replacement for holding fast to Jesus. I want to talk about the two types of spirituality that was displacing. Each one was displacing the Lord Jesus in the Colossian church and talk about how that can happen in us, in our hearts, in our churches, in our church, in our lives. First, I want to talk about legalism and how that was displacing Jesus. Second, I want to talk about mystical spirituality and how that was displacing Jesus. And then I want to talk about how both of them are worldly. You can see the verse breakdowns that talk about each one of those, but let's jump into it. Our passage begins with this, don't let anyone pass judgment on you because of, and then they list out ways that you could adhere to Old Testament regulations, questions on food or drink. That would be some of those clean or unclean distinctions, food that's either clean or unclean with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That would be the Jewish festivals or, or keeping the Sabbath in the way of the people of Israel. In various cities where Paul is writing in what has become for us the New Testament or the New Testament letters, Paul notes that there are those that want to return the church to following Old Testament regulations and observations. The book of Galatians is really about it all throughout the whole thing, insisting, there were teachers that were insisting that Christians keep these Old Testament regulations. It seems like in Colossae, that was one of the things that the people were being tempted with also. That they were being judged by the way that they kept the Sabbath, or the way that they kept the Jewish festivals, or the ways that they kept clean or unclean distinctions. It was a Jesus plus traditional spirituality approach. And the reason that a Christian shouldn't let anyone pass judgment on them in relation to those things is that the Old Testament regulations were themselves shadows of things to come, but the substance is found in Jesus. What this is telling us is that throughout the Old Testament, there were several laws that were made to keep Israel distinct from all of her neighbors. Some of those were those food laws, those clean and unclean distinctions. Some of that was the Sabbath, the day that the people of Israel were able to rest from all of their labors. And some of those were the festivals that God had given to the people of Israel to remember God's great acts of redemption. Let me tell you about just a couple of them. One of them, which is the most famous to us, is the day of Passover a day that the people of Israel would keep year after year. And it was a time to remember that the Lord God had redeemed them out of Egypt by the blood of a lamb that was shed and placed on their doorposts. They would eat unleavened bread. They would eat in haste as if they were ready to go. All of it was a reminder of God's act of redemption, of salvation, as he brought them out of slavery. Or the highest holy day for the people of Israel, the highest festival day was the day that was called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, a day that was concerned all about atoning for the sin of the people. Let me read to you what would happen on that day. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe this is new, but what would take place is that the high priest would first bathe and then put on white, a white tunic. He would not wear the ceremonial insignia of the high priest. He would then offer a bull for the sin of himself and his own house. And then he would take a censer with burning coals and incense into the most holy place. And he would sprinkle blood from the bull on the Ark of the Covenant, which was there in the most holy place, in the Holy of Holies. It was the one day of the year that one person, the high priest, could go into this most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Then the priest would leave. He would cast lots over two goats. One would be sacrificed for the sins of the people and the other one would become the scapegoat. He would sacrifice that one goat, the other he would place his hands on the scapegoat and then there was one person commissioned to take the goat outside of the gathering of the people. It was a a symbol of how the Lord God was removing the sin from the people of Israel, placing it on this goat, on the scapegoat and bringing it outside of their midst so that their sins were forgiven. The person that was tasked with bringing that goat outside of the camp would then have to wash his own clothes and bathe before returning to camp. The high priest would leave his white clothing in the tent of meeting, bathe again, and then put on his regular priestly apparel. And then the bull and the goat that had been sacrificed were to be burned entirely. The purpose, you see, of these festivals... The purpose of the food laws, the clean and the unclean distinctions, was to point the people of God to the fulfillment of all of these festivals. The passage today says that they were shadows that were pointing us to a fulfillment, to a substance, to a body, and that's Jesus. It's Jesus who's able to free us from captivity to sin and death and bring us to our eternal home. It's Jesus who is the Passover lamb by whose blood we are saved from death. It is Jesus who is the scapegoat upon whom all of our sins are placed so that they are removed from us forever. It is Jesus who is sacrificed to redeem us from sin. And the whole point of the Old Testament shadows was to point us to Jesus and to recognize that his life and death and resurrection are enough for us. And so for someone to insist that we keep following these Old Testament ritual purity laws or festivals or new moons or Saturday Sabbaths is to miss the point that our rest is found in Jesus, that our freedom is found in Jesus, that our forgiveness is found in Jesus, and the shadows should have directed our attention to the body that was casting the shadow, should have directed our attention to Jesus. And yet, there were some within the Colossian church who were saying, keep the regulations. Keep those Old Testament laws. Then they will know that you're spiritual. If you keep all those regulations and laws, then we'll really know. But that wasn't the only way that people were demonstrating their spirituality in ways that people could see. And by so doing, displacing Jesus there was also a kind of mystic spirituality that was doing the same sort of thing.
0: Today's message in our Jesus Above Everything series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask, absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com and click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now, we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
1: And the second two verses in the text this morning tell us about that kind of mystic spirituality. It's this performative mystic spirituality that we encounter in the second two verses of the text. Perhaps the same group of teachers, perhaps a different group of false teachers in the midst of the Colossian church were drawing boundaries based upon certain kinds of experience. Now they also insisted on regulations that were based on food and drink. But the kind of worship that they encouraged wasn't sort of the kind of worship that was in line with Old Testament laws and regulations. They insisted on sort of a a more mystical, spiritual experience, worshiping angels, receiving visions and going on and on about them, demonstrating the power of their own mind and intellect in engaging with the world or with the scriptures. While the first sort of spirituality that we encounter in this passage would have appealed to some of the old-school traditionalist Israelites in the congregation, the second part would have likely appealed to the former pagans in the congregation. But really, either type of spirituality, the legalism or the mysticism, could appeal to either group. And the problem was the same. The mysticism that was being encouraged or practiced left out Jesus. It led to people worshiping angels rather than worshiping Jesus. And perhaps they thought, well, this is just a part of the mystical experience of experiencing the heavenly realms. But they were wrongly directing the way that they worshiped. Perhaps people would glory in their own experiences, spiritual experiences, and miss out on Jesus. And just like the shadows were supposed to direct the attention of the people to Jesus, here, Jesus, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, listen, you're experiencing all of these things in your own mind or emotions, and you're missing out, again, on the body of Jesus. You're missing out that Jesus is the head of the church and that you're joined to him. You're missed out on this physical reality. There are a couple things to note here. The first is that I love the focus that Paul keeps giving on the physical body of Jesus. He's just talked about how we were reconciled by the body of flesh of the Lord Jesus because he's sort of going after these false teachers that are saying that the body, that the physical, that it's bad. And he just keeps going after them again and again and again. It's brilliant argumentation. I love reading through it and seeing all of the emphasis on the fact that Jesus had this real body and really died and really rose again. Now, in opposition to those teachers who'd be nervous about the body, He keeps focusing on this body that's able to cast shadows, this body of Jesus in contrast to the serious mind of the false teachers. The second thing that I want to note is that as you hear about the dual temptations that are facing the church in Colossae, you might think, well, that all sounds extremely ancient. Who is worrying about that today? I mean, who? I've never met a single person that's been telling me I need to keep these new moons or festivals today. Like who today in the church is in danger of being held sway by the worship of angels? But I'm guessing that you've seen the substance of these two things again and again and again in your life if you've been a Christian for any length of time. My guess is that you have seen either in other people's lives or if you're willing to look at yourself in honesty, either legalism or an appeal to mysticism or emotions. How often have you encountered people? maybe yourself, who are only too willing to explain to you all the rules that they've followed as a Christian, who can list off all the ways that they've demonstrated that they are particularly excellent in the way that they follow God. They've been on tons of mission trips. They've never even sniffed a beer. They'll throw a ball on Sunday, but not hard, never hard. Or to quote what Dan did, they don't drink, they don't chew, and they would never go with girls who do, never. And that's what demonstrates the fact that they are such a great Christian. They'll tell you about it. And please understand, none of this is to diminish mission trips. None of it is to diminish resting on the Lord's Day or being responsible with alcohol, all of which are good things. It's to tell you that we can quickly lose sight of God When good things displace Jesus, and we need to be aware of it, that when following regulations or laws leads you to focusing on those regulations or laws or on your keeping of it, and you forget Jesus because of it, that becomes a bad thing. That becomes a demon. Or maybe you've encountered people who will go into detail about the special word that the Lord has given to them. Or they demonstrate their own wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the things of God. Or they're fixated on the battle between light and dark in the heavenly realms. Or they're certain about the time of the return of Jesus or they'll pity you because you don't speak in tongues. Mystical experiences can be the basis for what some people point to for why it is that they have a healthy or thriving spiritual life. And none of this is to criticize passion Or or being open to being directed by God or or sensing a closeness to him. It is to criticize the worship of angels or anything that would be distracting us from the Lord Jesus. But what I'm saying is, is that if legalism or if mysticism or experience, if any of it displaces Jesus, it's a demon. And it's so easy to lose sight of the Lord Jesus because these good things have displaced him. I'll tell you, when I was at college, I I knew a couple of folks, and I've uh, stayed, you know, in touch with them through Facebook until I left social media, which has been just a wonderful thing in life right now. But, um, you know, one of them came in, and he was all about, he was about rule keeping, and he sort of, he he was just very upfront about that. He talked about how he was going to keep all these rules and regulations, about how he was not going to do those sorts of things that, you know, other people would do, and and he was, uh, he was very rigid, and and I respected that. I mean, honestly, I respected the rigidity, the disciplined nature of his life, the fact that he was um, so committed to telling people about how he would keep these various like, regulations or laws. As he graduated from college and continued in the world, I became very sad when I saw that he announced that he was no longer a Christian. And I realized, man, all that law-keeping wasn't sufficient to keep him trusting in Jesus. And I wondered, in the midst of all of that, well, was the focus for him the fact that he was such a great law keeper, that he had things right? Did that somehow displace Jesus in his life? Conversely, there was a a young woman that I came into Wheaton with, and she very often would talk about the mystical spiritual experiences that God had given to her, and she... um, considered herself to be a very strong Christian because she said that God would speak specific words to her. And then sometimes he, she said that he would speak a word to her that she needed to give to me. And, and I respected the fact that she had the kind of, uh, connection to God that she was able to discern his will. I honestly, I respected it. I appreciated our friendship. I was impressed by it. And it, it broke my heart when, um, a friend of mine about a year ago sent me a TikTok. She's now, uh, she now identifies as pagan. And she tries to get people to engage in pagan spirituality and experience. And I wondered, man, did some of these mystical experiences displace Jesus in the life of this person? Did it become about experience? And then she realized, man, there are other ways to, to get experience. I don't need Jesus to that end. I don't say either of this to try to shame those people that I was friends with in college, but to tell you that it is so simple for us, like Adam and Eve, like Israel as she wandered through the wilderness, like the kings of Israel, like the Colossian church, to lose sight of God and start trusting in something alongside of him or instead of him that we think will give security or comfort or confidence or conviction. And that sometimes it can be the things that appear to make you spiritual or better than. But if any law keeping distracts you from Jesus, it's not helpful. If any mystical experience keeps you from trusting Jesus, it's not helpful. And that's what what the passage ends with. Now, both of these types of spirituality, both the legalism and the mysticism, had this one thing in common. Both of, both of them, well, a few things in common. Both of them uh, sort of appealed to this don't eat, don't touch, don't taste sort of thing. Take a look at, uh, take a look at verse 20 and in, in following our passage. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all parishes that used according to human precepts and teachings. This is the surprising part of the passage here. As he talks about this, this like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch mentality that's present in both forms of this kind of spirituality, a a sort of denial that exists both in the legalism and in the mysticism that like makes sense to the world. He says that this is actually worldly spirituality. It's actually not particularly godly. It's not a godly thing to downplay the goodness of God's creation and the things that he gives to us. And by demonstrating the fact that you will avoid this or that or the other thing, you're not demonstrating yourself to be like a particularly spiritual person. You're demonstrating that you are a worldly person in accordance with Colossians chapter 2, 20 through 22. That's the surprising part of the passage. I mean... If we see folks that, are, uh, that, that like to talk about all the things that they are giving up because of their commitment to God, doesn't that seem like a uniquely spiritual person? And yet here in Colossians chapter 2 when he says, you know what, all of this don't handle, don't touch, don't taste, all of that stuff, that's that elemental spirit of the world thing. That's not acknowledging the goodness of creation that God has made for us. Again, I mean, none of this is to suggest that we should use the world that God has created sinfully, or abuse it? I mean, Paul's going to go on in this passage and, and in this book of the Bible and in others to talk about how we need to pursue righteousness, how we need to put to death the things of the flesh. He's not saying, you know, like indulge in sinful passions. That's not, the, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. It doesn't matter how much you experience. It doesn't matter how much you deprive yourself. Your heart won't be changed by that. It can only be changed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being worked in you by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that, that is what we should desire. Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema in our series, Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook answering seven hard questions that Christians ask.
1: Again, that's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon
0: Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn